and we're live with our 233rd episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on most social media platforms. <laughs> uh, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law, also on most social media platforms. Seth, say hi. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. A lot's happened in the last week. Uh, Ken and I are excited to be back as always. Um, have been talking through a number of different things that have happened. Before we launch into too much though, I do want to give a shout out to Redpoint, our sponsor, Redpoint Security. They specialize in code security for coders bolstered by years of experience testing applications and conducting code reviews against all types of applications, including web, mobile, AI, and web three. Redpoint also offers training to help ground your team in better security practices across the development lifecycle. So check out redpointsecurity.com for more information. Uh, and, and, you know, give, along those lines too, right? Yeah, go I for can it. give my blurb too, but I don't have it written down and cool like you. Come on, uh, we also. That's we, what ChatGPT is for. Let's be honest. <laughs> Good point. Good point, yeah. actually. You're not wrong. Um, so uh, Dry Run Security, company I co-founded. Uh, I, I don't know what, I don't have, a, like I said, a good blurb, but I'll say this. We, we surface risk in PRs and pull requests and code that's changing. Uh, we're primarily supporting GitHub as of right now. Um, and we do that performing contextual security analysis. So if, you see, if we see multiple data points trigger, so like a sensitive function being touched, something like an authorization or authentication function, maybe a sensitive file, something that's you know pretty security impacting inside your web application. Also, maybe we surface some AppSec uh, issues, right? Normal AppSec, OWASP top 10 type stuff. Uh, you know, multiple factors taken into account. And if all those things pop, you know, we alert your team. Otherwise, we stay pretty much under the hood, giving some recommendations and awareness, but uh, nothing to alert you on. So that's kind of what yeah. Dry Run does. And last thing I wanted to note, not about Dry Run, but actually about our, and we'll put a link in here for our happy hour, but Impart Security um, yes. is helping to co-sponsor alongside Redpoint and Dry Run our happy hour at CactusCon. But I'll hand that over to you because I know you got some uh, stuff to say about that. Yes, um, that was going to be the first thing on my list of upcoming events. Ken and I will be in Phoenix or Mesa for CactusCon. And Absolute AppSec, AppSec uh, is doing an happy hour, I guess is what we're calling it. A happy hour um, on Friday. Uh, it's basically after the uh, the conference happy hour that's going on Friday afternoon. Um, we'll be going over back over to the hotel that's attached to the conference center there. Um, and yes, Ken's dropping in the happy hour link into the different media platforms. If you're going to be in Phoenix, um, you, know, you don't even have to be going to CactusCon to come to the happy hour if you would like to. Uh, but if you're going to be at CactusCon, definitely sign up. Come on over. We're going to have some um, Crocs and Swap. Ah, Crocs and Socks swag. Oh, speaking of which, I got to grab something to show you. Oh, cool! Because I haven't seen these. I oh no no no! This is <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't have the giblets yet, but I did have to show you these. <laughs> <laughs> I will be awesome. wearing Crocs and socks. Uh, these are actually handmade wool socks from my wife, of all things. So oh, nice. or and cool. she's got some. So so uh, we need some sizes, Ken, so we can get you a pair of custom ones. We're actually going to have some um, socks to give away and maybe some Crocs as well for the happy hour. Um, just people that are going to be there. We're going to share some stuff out and have security discussions. Obviously, that's the whole idea is bolster community. So excited to be there, CactusCon, um, and to run the happy hour. Uh, after that, we'll be at the next event will be KernelCon. We will, we will be um, teaching practical secure code review at KernelCon with new LLM slash AI bits included, how we're starting to utilize that in our practice um, and how you can utilize it in your secure code review practice. Um, CactusCon is a great place to actually get that. Um, given that it is a local conference, uh, the cost is actually less than you know most of the other conferences that we're attached to. So give it a, give it a look. Um, 
other than that, right, there's a couple of, there's more opportunities coming this year. We will be in Europe at Paris for DEF CON trainings. Um, that one is, I believe that's a four day, if I remember right, Ken, that's a four day training that will be longer, more in depth, again, with the new AI bits. Um, I'm interested to see how that's going to go, or I'm excited to see how that one's going to go. Uh, that'll be in April. Um, yeah. So beginning of April is KernelCon. End of April will be Paris uh, DEF CON trainings. Um, I think those are the biggest things that are coming up on my radar right now. There are other conferences. There's other trainings that we're going to be doing. Um, but yeah, just keep an eye out, right? We'd love to see people there at both at all the things, right? Yes. We would love yes. to see you all. Yes. You know what's funny? Uh, I don't even wear socks. Like no. <laughs> I don't, well, I do if I have to, right? Like it, like a special occasion, but given most of the time I'm like either, you know, at home or like doing jujitsu, like it's freezing and sometimes, sometimes it's freezing in the house just because we got these German shepherds and I still refuse to wear socks. I call them feet prisons because I just, uh -huh. <laughs> I don't like socks and shoes. So like even right now, I mean, I'm wearing, like I always wear flip-flops. Like I just, I don't know. Just can't do it. I don't know. But anyways, I'm not even sure why I brought that up. But just think about the socks you got. I'm like, you know, just don't even wear them most of the time. Actually, I got asked about the Crocs and socks thing by someone, uh, you know, fairly close, I guess. And I was like, well, at first I wasn't sure what they were asking. But I think what they're asking is like they didn't even understand what the background behind Crocs and socks was. And so I had to explain it was kind of a. You know, I looked at I, we, whenever you bring up things like auditing, boring stuff. And I say that tongue in cheek. It's obviously very necessary, but it's been very practical, which makes it very boring. And, uh, you know, dad, 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 kind of like a dad responsibility. And uh, then it evolved into uh, the Crocs and Socks of AppSec. Uh, but yeah, anyways, it, it, I forget that some people just haven't heard the reason behind that. So maybe now. If you have, yeah, it's if you didn't know yeah. that. That's not now you know that. Yeah, and I mean, we should probably do. I, I you know, I'll put together a, a you know a quick post on it that we should drop on you know the website itself and on the blog as far as like what are the Crocs and socks like what what are the basics of AppSec that we're talking about because I, I mean it really did come out of the course right like we were talking yeah. you know through the basics of you know triple A right authentication, authorization, and everyone always forgets auditing because it's the boring, right? It's the basics, the crocs and socks of, you know, the dad, the dad topics of security, right? Um, that the auditors are going to come in and ask you about, right? And that, and that's really what it comes down to is it's the basics of, you know, what you should have, what you should be doing from a security perspective. So, yeah. I, yeah. Now people I mean, I think it, it was kind of funny too, because we were getting on the conversation or we were getting on calls with Impart and some of their marketing people, right? And we're like, oh, Crocs and Socks, Crocs and Socks. And they're like, they're like what, what are you guys, what, what are you guys talking about? You're like so weird. <laughs> Rightfully I'm so. Kidding. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're a niche podcast, right? Like we talk about <laughs> what we want to talk about. We're not your average podcast. Yeah. Um, no, like, uh, and their team's been off, you know, in part security, their team's been awesome. Like I am, I am, uh, yeah, it's very nice to have people like in the past. So just for everybody's awareness in the past, when we run like events, uh, happy hours, namely, it's been kind of just like volunteer work that Seth and I did together. Um, but in this case, you know, now we've got some, uh, some actual team, our team of, of folks behind it so it's kind of cool like to watch i mean basically seth and i are, were able to be pretty hands-off on um you know getting the event planned uh or sorry the event location planned and the food and the drinks and all that fun stuff and you know the the some input on on you know how things looked from a visual perspective and, and all that but uh yeah it's just nice to have people to support you when you're really really busy and you put one of these together so, yeah yeah, yeah, very cool. Gonna, so thank you to Impart Security as well. Yep. yep. Thanks to them for sure. 
Um, but yeah, we will have a giveaway, right? Like we'll be doing, I mean, we've got the, the socks and, you know, stickers and things, but I, you know, I think we're even going to have some Crocs that we're going to bring along to, you know, do a raffle or whatever for, right? Like we'll figure it out. Right. And of course we've always got t-shirts and other stuff. Um, yeah. Well, speaking know, of I, conferences, speaking of conferences, yes. The big news this week is, DEFCON was canceled and then uncanceled, right? Um, I mean, that's always the joke that DEFCON is canceled because, you know, we're trying to tell people not to come because there's way too many people there nowadays. Um, but it actually, like, they got dropped by Caesars. Um, and so they had to scramble, find another venue. They're going to be at the, you know, Las Vegas Convention Center instead. Same time frame. Um but here, let me drop that link in there because I, I mean, it's kind of an interesting discussion because I, I know there's a lot of speculation going on around why. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Hacker News and Reddit had a lot of speculation. Like the Hacker News uh, thread from this was pretty substantial. The one that actually seems like it practically makes the most sense is uh, that... Uh, or maybe makes makes sense is that they uh, are now full swing back in motion since uh, you know the pan Caesars is since the pandemic mm-hmm. um, isn't a thing and people are all you know back in Vegas uh, getting rooms all year round versus just you know certain spots of the year so uh, it's more cost. Well, basically, what they were saying is that gamblers, like specifically people that will spend money are coming back during the time that DEFCON um, would traditionally be there for the reason that most people aren't there, which is August. Um, So now post-pandemic world, they want the gamblers back taking up those rooms. It's more cost-effective from their their perspective. Um, I don't know. I don't know the financials of all this, so I actually don't don't know at all if that's true. That's just some speculation. It seems like it kind of makes sense because they they said, you know, uh, a lot of hackers aren't necessarily a lot of the people attending anyways, aren't necessarily big gamblers. I, I don't know. I, I don't I've seen some folks at the gam- gambling tables and whatnot, but uh, I, I would say, yeah, you were pretty much there for the conference. And I don't see I think after hours, you see a lot of people hanging out together. I don't see, you know, percentage wise, a uh, ton of gamblers. So, I mean, that that's the only reason I was like, oh, maybe that kind of makes sense. I mean. What do, what do you think? I mean, I, you, we've heard the obvious ones too, where like people are well at the bomb scare and, and all that uh, from last year. Yeah, like I, I mean, I you know, always the big speculation is, oh, well, they've always had the hackers there, and so they've like you know screwed shit up, right? Like, and I'm like, yeah, but not really, right? Like most of the community nowadays is pretty respectful. Um, I know who was it? Was it Jerry that was dropped into the Slack and was talking about like you know the financials of Caesar's Entertainment, right? Like. Um, right. Yeah. I imagine it has more to do with, from, from, with a business decision on Caesar's part than anything else. Um, I can't imagine I'm, I'm with you. I can't imagine that the crowd that goes to DEF CON that spends all their time at the convention center, talking to each other, um, doing, you know, convention things. They don't spend as much time out in the out on the floor gambling, and then it fills up their hotels and the spaces, right? Like I've always felt bad for the people that you know they're at the link on their vacation to gamble, and all of a sudden, like they've been mm-hmm. descended on by the DefCon, right? Like it's just it it would be a weird, weird experience, right? Like um, so, like I imagine that that has a lot to do with it, um, and. You know, I'll be honest, right? Like, even getting over to that new Caesars forum, uh, like, DEFCON outgrew that very quickly, right? Like, we still had stuff that was going on in Flamingo, in, like, other locations um, at Caesars hotels. And it's hard to run a conference when it is so disparate. I'll tell you, like, you know, from the hacker, from a hacker tracker's perspective like the number of events like like the number of mini conferences that are running inside and under the defcon umbrella is insane right most conferences that we support right like we got two three tracks maybe four right tracks plus a couple other workshops and other events that are going on 
and it's very easy to import the data. Like when we start looking at DEF CON and we've got, you know, 10 different villages plus the main tracks, plus of all the night events, plus everything else that's going into it, the maps that are involved, trying to get people from location A to location B, it gets so complex, right? And that's been the big discussion point now is how do we do this with a space that we've never seen before or used before? Um, right. Like we had Paris Bally's back in the day. We kind of figured out what the transition was, how to move people back and forth between there. Now we're going to be at the Las Vegas Convention Center. What is that going to look like? How do we get people in and out? How do we direct them once they're in the space? Because the convention center is um, is larger than the Caesars Forum was. Right. But it's not as fixed walls either. Right. Like if the configuration is going to be up to DEF CON. And so navigating that and actually setting it up so that people can get from one track to another or into a village and see what they want to see, because that's continually the problem with DEF CON and the complaints that we get from attendees is that they can't actually get into events. And you and I have both been there, right? Uh, yeah. Waiting in line for a talk, um, you know, try and go see who, like, uh, I don't know, back in the day, Dan Kaminsky speak. Good mm -hmm. luck, right? Like you have to wait for two hours to get in and even just get a seat. Um, and, you know, they, they do some things to alleviate that, stream it online, stream it through the conference hotels. But uh, like, I, I think people are going to need to give the organizers a little bit of grace this year as we figure out what this new, what the new reality looks like. Yeah, I, I kind of well, wandered I, all over the place there, Kim. So, yeah. No, I do have a clarifying question, though. You mentioned fixed walls uh they're not being fixed closed are you literally talking about the movable uh sectional dividers that um you use yeah. to divide off the rooms that you meant okay yeah and uh, yeah so the convention centers uh, you know generally it's it's a huge empty space right and then you decide how you want to divide it up how many people you want per room like what the what the different rooms look like um, it sounds like there's a couple floors of the convention center that the upper floors are like fixed, like room sizes, but the lower floor the you know, what you would think of traditionally as a convention floor is basically a, a blank slate and you have to choose what it's going to be. So dividing that up is going to be interesting. It'll be great for things like, you know, the opening and closing ceremonies, the larger talks because they can't expand it. Um, but it's a lot of moving pieces. That's all. Yes. One thing I'd throw out there for everybody is just make sure you book your, well, actually wait two hours and then book your travel, <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> uh, book your, book your good luck. Hotel room at, <laughs> yeah. Right. But I'd say go book your hotel room now. Cause like, if you don't, um, you'll be stuck far away from, uh, the happenings and that's not fun. So yeah. Just a reminder to everybody. Hey, I also was going to throw out there that, Seth, that I actually, uh, when we were planning our happy hour, we didn't want to, for CactusCon, we didn't want to coincide with CactusCon's happy hour. We wanted to be after. So what yeah. was cool is I couldn't find when their happy hour was happening on the, the website, on their website. But what I did do was I pulled up when the marketing folks asked, I pulled up Hacker Tracker. I changed to Cactus Con, and then I was able to find the happy hour. So I didn't even tell you that, but that was actually Switch how I capability. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, and maybe it's more obvious to the website, but you know, busy trying to skim as fast as possible. Anyways, Hacker Tracker didn't fail me. So yeah, good, man, good. nice job. That's awesome. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Um, I'll give a shout out to Drew on that because he's the one that loads all the data nowadays. You know, okay, thank you, Drew. Not uh, Seth. Yes. Screw yes. Seth. Yes. Seth. I, I just Seth. provide a platform. But Drew. Yeah. But Drew. Drew's, Drew's the, awesome. <laughs> Drew's the one. I'll get you Drew on this the podcast one. now. Yeah, that's we, awesome. we, we you, should. Drew. Drew's awesome. Um, yeah. So DEF CON moving. I mean, you know, here, you're going to hear a lot about it, but plan ahead this year if you are going to go um, just realistically what it's, you know, what it's going to be because it's going to be different, right? It's and we've moved locations multiple times, or DefCon has moved locations multiple times. Uh, it's just going; it, it's always different, right? Um, but if you're going to be out there, 
we will be doing training. Trainings will be at Sahara, however, right? Uh, the couple of days after the conference, as usual. Uh, so if you're going to stay for training, I would recommend staying or try getting, you know, at least for those days, uh, hotel at the Sahara. Um, and Ken and I will be hanging out there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, so that's DEF CON. Yeah. There's not a lot of controversy there from what, from, you know, my, uh, yeah, in my estimation, right? But, yeah, I mean, where was it before? Tropicana and Riviera or something like that? Or no, not Tropicana. Sorry. Uh, uh, I don't know. I <laughs> Link Riviera Flamingo. The Riv. Yeah, Flamingo. That was what I was trying to figure out. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Riv before it, it got torn down. Um, remember how uh, gross that hotel was? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, as yeah, Adam said Riviera. Also, Adam had mentioned all the googly eyes and stickers. I'm sure that's super annoying. Though, you know, it is a union job, and sometimes you see people just doing stuff just to do such stuff. Like, it's not even... I've seen people uh, on staff with union jobs in uh, Vegas literally just sweeping up nothing, just walking around, just, like, trying to find. So, I don't know. Now that I'm saying, you know, make make jobs for people by, you know... The, putting stickers on stuff but at the same time i've seen them do nothing collecting a union job and I, i'm all for it i'm just saying <laughs> it's you know it's that is the reality but yeah um yeah the riv was awful that was so terrible i mean that was the, the i mean it, that was just a terrible um hotel awful very good <laughs> yeah and it was there for yeah, a few yeah. years right yeah this is actually since Adam had mentioned uh, the union job aspect. Yeah, it's actually crazy. Like Vegas, I don't know how many people know this, but with Vegas, like most of that is uh, it's all unions, right? Um, and the the workers there, um, they yeah, it, it's it's it's. I had a I had a like a ta either an Uber driver or a taxi driver one time break it all down because they were like deep into the union at one point, and then it was, they were older, this they were retired, and they were like, you wouldn't believe, you know um how much is dependent on on the union to keep things kind of flowing around well, there um yeah, they're really especially from power yeah especially with a uh, you know when it comes to the conferences right like you know a large conference comes in i mean if you've ever been to black hat and you know got the lunch tickets for black hat right like you sit down and all of the waiters everybody like everything associated with that like that service is like union run right um so like, yeah, Caesar's contracts with whoever it is, but they have to hire union workers. It's all just like this. Uh, it's interesting how it actually functions. Um, yeah. Cause if we want like electrical, if you want to make changes, or, uh, yeah. sorry, electrical suppressors or whatever it might be, there's always like three people that have to be involved in that, that process. And it's all, it's <laughs> very funny to me, but um, it does keep people, you know, employed and, and not getting, um, I don't know, whatever. I'm not getting into politics of that. I don't care. But just an interesting fact, I think, more so than anything, is that, yeah, all, most of those jobs are, almost all the jobs are union-backed, from from my understanding. Yeah. Anyways, uh, what we have, like, lots of stuff to cover in terms of technical bits. I, I mean, we could start I with... Do you I want mean, to talk about Dostro's article? I, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I found this, this fascinating, because we do have, okay, so in security in general, we have this, like propensity to be like, oh, it's never going to happen to me, right? Like, oh, I'm, I'm in security, so I'm never going to get, you know, hacked. I'm never going to get compromised. I'll never like fall for a phishing attempt, like whatever it is. Um, and I, I mean, honestly, like we had, uh, Corey was on, like he was on one of the uh, conferences, right? That we did like a midwinter nights con. He came on and gave a talk. He's super interesting, uh, you know, don't necessarily agree with him on on everything, but just like you know, from a freedom perspective, from like a pure like just thinking things through perspective, he's great to follow, right? Um, but hit this article that I just posted is him um, talking about how he actually got scammed, right? How he fell for a call, um, basically gave away his credit card information to the scammer. Um, and ended up, you know, it was like $8,000 of, you know, charges that hit his card. He had, you know, he had used a card in an ATM in a location as he was traveling, thought that, you know, okay, right, like, 
there's other things that are going on. And this is, this is where it happens, right? Um, is usually when we're like engaged in other, uh, other activities, right? Security becomes kind of a backdrop that we think about as opposed to something that's at the forefront of every decision that we make. And he was trying to make the right decisions, right? Um, he had been called in the past for different purposes from his bank and the call that he got, he thought was from the fraud uh, detection team at the bank, but turned out to be the scammer themselves, right? And when you're frustrated, when you're in any of those situations, it's very easy to actually give away some of this information and not realize that you've done it until later. And, th and that's exactly what happened to him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, like, what were your thoughts on it? Did you get a read through on this all, on this article? I did. I think it's pretty much what you said. You know, there were, uh, well, actually the, the one that was really, the one little detail that was interesting. Um, he said, you know, they asked normally with the card, they'll ask for the last four, but in this case, they asked for the yeah. last seven and he totally forgot that the first nine are predictable. They're just based off of like, you know, visa has their own prefix and even within a card, um, um, organization like visa or Ch uh, Amex or whatever it may be, there's like sub, obviously sub uh, prefixes based off of what type of, you know, partnership they have with some other group. Like a good example would be like uh, Chase and United, for instance, they've got their, you know, organizations, Chase, United. Stuff. Anyways, it is kind of funny because he was like, well, um, uh, yeah, first leisure suit, Larry said first six uh, of uh, Visa and MasterCard are the bank, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. These are predictable prefixes. Um, so in any case, they asked for the last seven um, instead of the last four. He thought, well, that's weird, but not, you know, didn't think too much of it. That was kind of the big one that bit him. Um, yep. <laughs> and uh, they went through the, the, so they being the, the bank, they went through the logs, the fraud department did, and they're like, nobody ever called you uh, from here. And that was kind of his revelation moment where he's like, oh, yeah. Oops. And I get, I also, by the way, funny title of the article, the Dunning-Kruger, what is it with something? Yeah. Cyber Dunning-Kruger. Yeah. Dunning uh, yeah. That, that's funny. Clever. Um, yeah. Anyways, I, I could see that happening, you know, being in a, in a rush and, um, you know, also, cause like he had mentioned, you know, that there were, there were like a, a bunch of circumstances that occurred, but I mean, yeah, the whole um, taking the, the max, uh, whatever it is, met the 737 uh, off off uh, the fleets because of the bolt that that was missing in the door of that uh, yep. one plane. Um, that was I was actually caught as you remember. I was caught up actually in in between the weather and that going on. I was caught up in all that myself. So I understand how uh, how frustrating that day was when you were traveling on that day. Um, so I mean, I get it. Yeah, I, I, I totally. I understand. I would say I'm like, I have not contacted my bank back when I needed to because I was overly paranoid. So I don't know which one's worse. <laughs> I mean, yeah. literally like for three months, they're like, yeah, we're trying to get a hold of you. I was like, you guys seem like scammers. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, legitimately, like we needed to get in contact with you. So, um, whoops. So Whoops. anyways, you'd yeah. be like me and be too paranoid about certain things. Um, but anyways, well, uh, yeah, it, just it's, it's, I could see it happening. I'm glad he came out yeah. and said said that it did. And I'm glad he shared that so that other people, you know. Yeah. Well, um, well, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, we, we have a tendency not to give each other grace when it comes to that stuff, too. Right. Like, you know, uh, you know, you're working on the security team. You're sending out like fishing exercises to, you know your staff, of course, people are going to click on that link. Of course, like, you know, you don't know everything else that's going on. And that that's what he's speaking to here. And that that's what I wanted to recognize is that, hey, we're all just people, we're all going to make mistakes, right? And so like, yeah, he has he very, you know, methodically goes through the blast radius and goes and works with the VP of this little credit union and right, like to, you know, to see what actually happened. Most of us aren't going to go through that level of effort after, you know, after having one of our cards actually, you know, stolen or whatever it is and the charges in there. Um, 
I mean, I think everyone's had that experience at this point, right? Like they've used their card somewhere, all of a sudden it's being used and there's weird, weird charges coming in. Um, you've got to know what the channels are that your bank is going to contact you from. Um, and, but the interesting thing, right, like as well that he talks about is this this idea of the uh, Swiss cheese and the whole insecurity that exists, right? And when they happen to line up just right, the scammers find an avenue to actually exploit it and to commit fraud. And when they don't, then there is something that actually like prevents that from happening. So again, this goes back to Crocs and Socks, right? Like the basics of security for you personally, but also from a bank and from an app perspective, if we're doing everything that we need to, we're going to make sure that those holes don't actually line up or, you know, when they do, we catch them quickly and we prevent what that blast radius is going to be. Um, and that's one of the things like personally that, you know, like we should be thinking about both as developers, application security people, but as like in our daily lives is what happens when we do, you know, we do fall for the scam. What is it that you do? Right. Um, what is your I incident mean, response? Right. Yeah. Well, and I what would add, say? although like the simplest thing you can do, I mean, every, I think the people that are watching this podcast, unless you stumbled on this episode, you know this, but for everybody else who stumbles on this and uh, listens, just call your bank directly. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the pull best out your card. If anyone call, oh, yeah. pull out your card, look at the number on it, call that number, talk to the bank. Don't talk to anybody else that solicits any who calls you. I mean, again, maybe I'm not the best person to be giving <laughs> advice since I went so long without but in any case, no jokes aside, definitely just call that number. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, kind of bleeds into our next topic of, mm -hmm. or not next topic, but it's related to the whole deep fake $25 million fraud. Ooh, yes. I don't know if you want to pivot. <laughs> yeah, I found that one to, to be that. super interesting because this is a new, so we'll post article in here, here in a second, but what makes this a different, yeah, $25 million is a lot of money. I will say, um, it's not that crazy, believe it or not. Like I, ugh, I'm, I won't give out, I can't tell you which company and I can't tell you which person told me this. So people can believe me or not, <laughs> but there is a company that my buddy worked for and they do regularly seven, eight figure transfers because they have so many different partners that are receiving profit for their, for what they do for the platform. Um, that it's not uncommon to do a bunch of transfers. And so just through nothing more than emails, um, there there were there was a lot of money stolen from from this company a while back. And um, the CFO was the one who actually transferred it because it was pretty convincing, right? Well, if that can happen via that email, this this is bananas, right? So like, yes, twenty five million dollars was stolen, but it was the way that it was done where, this wasn't just a simple email. They actually used deep fake AI technology to Zoom chat as members of high level members of the organization with, oh gosh, uh, was it the CFO or it was somebody up like that? I think it might've been the CFO and um, convinced them to perform this transfer and everything seemed legit using deep fake AI technology. Um, and the money was lost. So that's a new precedent. You know, I don't know if money's been stolen with deep fakes before. I mean, I would assume if you, if they probably didn't start with $25 million, but that's been, I mean, what are your thoughts on all this? Cause I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. I, you know, it's been coming for a while, right? Um, this is the, this is the sort of article that you expect to happen. Um, this is where we start to talk about MFA, right? An actual like real two-factor authentication, and um, and how do you validate that someone who is who they say they are? Because it, you know, from a voice perspective, this would be pretty easy to do, right? Like you know, when you see it, like. I, I would be interested to see like what it actually looked like from a deep fake perspective, right? Like, you know, but I guess you think about a Zoom chat, you think about like this format that we're in right here and actually like, you know, everything's pretty fixed, right? It's not like, 
you know, transposing someone else's face on top of mine is one thing. And we actually saw some of this at DEF CON, right? Um, there was, which, I, yeah, DEF CON, deep fake. Hold on. I'm going to find the article or the uh, the presentation on it. Um, DEF CON 31. Yeah. Look, mom, CEO, real-time video and how to actually run it through. So let me, let me post this art, this, uh, because it, it, it's exactly what I believe they probably used, um, which is interesting that like, it was, it was almost predicted this last year that something like this was going to happen, right? Like we have images, people post images on social media, on LinkedIn, of themselves, of us here, right? Like it'd probably be pretty easy to deep fake either one of us with this technology because like there's so many shots of us actually like recording video, like our faces, our features, um, you know, giving that to an AI to predict what it would look like in a different situation, especially with a fixed background. I can totally see it happening. Right. Like, you know, and then trying to call bank or pretend to do something else. Yeah. It's not surprising, I guess, is where it goes where I, I go to is it's not surprising. And so that's where I, I spin towards how do we, how do we authenticate people in a situation like this? Right? Like, is it, we're going to have to start like, you know, giving tokens out, right? Like zoom is going to have to authenticate before allowing people to join to a secure communication channel. Um, signal, right? Like other ways that we actually validate people before we start communicating with them. Because obviously this is like, it's becoming untrusted, right? Oh, they have to sign in first. They have to do something else to prove identity before you're actually like start to have that conversation. But, you know, I don't know. It's it's so difficult to push that. Yeah. Say the keyword that you've mutually exchanged (laughs) on the video. Or like the phrase, like the lazy dog jumps over the log or whatever. I can't remember what it used to be or what it is. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, something like that. It's your like a uh, little cipher key. Um, that, man, that's. But you have to, you have to establish that, right? Like you're almost, you're starting to talk about key exchange in verbal format, right? Like that's, yeah. that's bizarre, right? Um <laughs> It is, but but is it? But is it? But is it? But is it like wildly a terrible idea for if you're like the social engineering physical security person and you're asked like, how can we in the short term spending no money like maybe make sure that doesn't happen? I don't know. I mean, if you of course if you exchange that, I mean we don't have to get into it, but yeah, I mean, well. Because then if you, what, what would you do? Exchange that via email? I mean, that's that's the crux of the issue, right? Well, well, yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's just it. Like you have to prove identity first, right? Like through some other mechanism. And then mm-hmm. you have to generate a phrase somehow, right? So right. I have, you know, I put a word into something that I send to you that you put into your generator and then you have to spit that word back out, right? Like, so for that secret phrase to happen, it, like... Dry Feels Run's like going to pivot. We're going to be duo pivot. for Zoom <laughs> for video chat. <laughs> we're in person duo. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Live MFA. I, I, but you can see that. We're going to go back right? to facsimile first. That's how we're going to exchange because nobody's got facsimile. Well, and we'll my just take an esoteric technology to exchange keys, and that, that'll be how we solve yeah. it through obfuscation. I don't know. Yeah. Just make it shut up. But you know, I'm I'm wondering, like, from a biometric perspective, too. You know, how AI and how like generative models are going, like how you're going to protect against something like deep fake, right? Mm. Um, you know, uh, I, I imagine it's going to be difficult to replicate, like, you know, someone's image, someone's face, but can you trick something like face ID? Can you trick something like you know, a fingerprint reader, you know, using generative AI. I, I, I don't know, right? Like, you know, at some point, you're, it's going to have to be like, you authenticate through a trusted mechanism. 
and then you have to generate a token, you have to say a token, or you have some sort of system set up, whether that that is a signal or something else that actually does that authentication to prove that, hey, I, you know, I am actually doing the podcast with Ken today and not some, you know, uh, some generative, you know, deep fake of Ken and somebody else that's got an agenda, right? Like that's the, it's, it's, it's rather fascinating to think about, right? Like, you know, the implications of what are going to happen here. It's going to be a fascinating new world, but I have an idea for our, our uh, April 1st episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we could figure out there. That could be fun, right? It could be very fun. <laughs> oh, man. I feel loopy today. I'm exhausted. I'm just, I think, but I'm exhausted. I just didn't sleep a lot last night so i'm feeling goofy today so sorry to those listening if just sound sillier than normal uh doing our best here uh so um yeah i mean i don't know man like this yeah new era of fraud new era of disinformation misinformation um more so disinformation yeah it's kind of it is is. it's just think about how to prevent these things and you know, I think the thing that you see a lot is like AI is not good at detecting AI. Mm-hmm. And you see you hear that all the time. So it's not like we're, you know, we have any magical solutions that, um, yeah, it might come back back to the old school stuff, just re-implemented in a, no, for a new format. And it, new, it is. New issue. It's gonna it's gonna be Crocs and socks. It's identity and authorization. So it's you know authentication, authorization, and auditing. You know, as as much yeah. as we you know. We crack jokes about it that it, it all falls back to that and you know that's i don't know that that recent talk that i've been giving of like modern versus old, old school and i actually went and reviewed like the old wear report from the 19 like late 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 1960s um that talks about possible security issues that are going to pop up for net, network systems and all of this feeds directly into that right like the basics of Hey, how do we protect against identity issues or authorization issues or you know fraud issues? It, you know, it all comes back to those things. So, yeah, sure does. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there's some good research to be done there, right? Like, um, go. I, I was actually in that talk for the text to speech deep fake. Right, um, it was an interesting one. So. The fact that it's happening, I guess that that's why that I think that's why it doesn't surprise me too much to you know deep fake a CFO that's publicly known using that to convince lower level employees to actually like transfer money. Um, it's just an extension of hey, I want you know your CEO wants you to go buy Apple I you know Apple Pay cards or whatever, right? Like yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. It's an oh. extension on that, but just at, at its larger scale, right? Yep. Um, I was going cool. to talk about Spoutable. Um, okay. More so the breakdown. Um, uh, All right. So you want to put this article in? Sorry. So Troy Hunt did a breakdown of uh, of their API, of Spoutable's API, which let's just talk for a sec about what Spoutable is. The whole idea is, in their own words, you can spout off stuff without effectively any ramifications, right? So you can say what you want to say and uh, not be a target of harassment, threats of violence. I'm reading this out loud. Sorry. Racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, just a lot of stuff. It's all the phobias and the isms and just protecting you from that. But this is where that kind of becomes an issue, right? So spoutable had a problem with their api and their ap and just before i go any further i'll say at the very end of the article uh the timeline was pretty quick um troy had said that uh wasn't able to find a security.txt file so just reached out to the, the basically the founder and got a response within i think and things mitigated within like four hours so you know mm-hmm. Just going to put that out there first before we go into like the incredibly bad design that they put into place, um, because I'm not going to be nice about that. I'll be nice about the reaction. I won't be nice about how they designed a platform designed to protect your identity. Anyways. All right. So um, 
basic breakdown. There are actually two API endpoints doing this, but this is this is the first sort of, of, of uh, thing that was odd, right? So when you pull uh, an API endpoint with a, it takes a parameter, a username, it gives you back the things, some of the things you would expect, obvious stuff, right? Maybe your name and like your about, the things you would all expect uh, from a social media uh, profile. But also it returned many, yeah, thank you for sharing because it's better to just visually see it so, right, that's the one that's normal, right? Username, first name, last name, and the about status. The ID, I don't know, that's opinionated. It, I Sometimes you need the ID because, you know, you're going to have like a RESTful API where you have to pass in user's ID and stuff like that. So it's not, I wouldn't say that's any kind of big deal. But this is where it gets a little weird. He's like, all right, well, email, that's put in there. IP address, obviously bad. Verified phone, obviously bad. Uh, and so now we have some PII, right? Email, IP, verified phone, and gender. So some for PII. Can you scroll down a little bit more? And so he's like, well, that seems really ob obviously pretty pretty awful. Okay, cool. Um, so now he uh, continues to see what else he can uh, scrape from this data. So um, he was able to uh get the password and decrypt hash form right so okay now we're getting some some information that's pretty valuable bcrypt is a pretty solid protocol but you know hey uh you can put in if, you, if you're allowed to enter in insecure passwords when you set your password such as using the name spoutable or password one two three or whatever um then no bcrypt becomes a lot less effective he's points to some of the articles he's written and others have written and, and whatnot around that. So then we go a little bit further because now the, 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 the problem is even if you figure out the password, well, they're, they might have two-factor auth enabled. But thankfully or not thankfully, the API returns the seed for the two-factor auth uh, generation, the algorithm. So he threw it over to Stefan, who is on his team. Uh, and Stefan... Um, and others from Twitter within, I think one, the fastest was within like three minutes or something, had generated uh, TOTP codes that were accurate for Troy's account using that um, C. Um, so now we've broken the pass, we've broken a password hash, uh, grabbed the um, TOTP uh, C generator. So now we can generate TOTP. So we basically, basically, you know, you can break into most accounts or accounts that you have, uh, the ability to crack the password on. All right. But then it gets even more interesting, right? Now there's an EM code, EM underscore code. What is that for? Well, <laughs> this one's used as your, your, as in your individual uh, reset code for resetting your password. So all you have to do is go into the end to, to the relevant endpoint for the password reset, put in the EM code of the user you just downloaded and boom, you can reset their password. Right, so no password cracking even needed. Um, things don't get much better from there. I mean, you know, you found it on, found the same thing on another endpoint. I just want to say, Seth, before I hand it over to you, because I know you're going to have some rants about this one. <laughs> this feels like a lot of the pen tests I did a long time ago. It does not feel like a lot of the pen tests I've done in recent years, and it does feel a lot like an OWASP vulnerable app. <laughs> so, yes, it it, do, it does. Okay, now. <laughs> That right, being now, said, off to the races with Seth. <laughs> that being said, I have seen similar things within the last year, um, both from just like a generic like API endpoint, like Troy's looking at here. Um, especially, sadly to say, in the Web three space, right? Um, this is this is a common pattern that they follow. They dump the user object and don't realize that the user object has all of these different tokens associated with it. Um, from 2FA to password to everything else to even keys for wallets and like, to, you know, stuff like that. So private keys. Okay, so I've seen it there, but I've also seen it in GraphQL implementations over the last, you know, being able to ask GraphQL, hey, for this user, tell me these things and authorizations don't limit that from happening. So, so there, it's, it's kind of this dual prong thing that we're seeing that, um, developers like are disconnected between front end and back end developers, 
and the front end needs certain information. They retrieve it from the back end. The back end is like, oh, well, we're just, you know, putting together this like user. We're going to send you the user object. And um, the front end developers just pick out the pieces that they need and make the changes as necessary. Um, and then I would even go further than this, like some of the other things that probably aren't as you know, bad as this, but are still pretty bad are the ability to actually make changes to those user objects um, based on post requests with things like the ID parameter or the ID that you can retrieve back out. Um, like that's more insecure direct objects reference, but it, it all goes to like sensitive data disclosure, authorization issues around that when dealing with these APIs that are exposed. And I think a lot of it just comes from the speed of development of these platforms. They're trying to push things out very quickly. They don't necessarily think about the risks that are associated with what they're dealing with and it gets exposed, uh, you know? So it's bad for sure. Um, I think we there was a, a lull there. You're right, Ken, like we saw this sorts of data exposure like within like even HTML pages and hidden form filled parameters, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but there's been a resurgence when it comes to the sensitive data disclosure for these different API endpoints, especially during the you know early days of those endpoints actually existing. Um, and now I don't know a lot about you know what is this spout spoutable whatever it is like how long it's actually existed and been in um, in circulation. That that would be interesting to to, to me to see how much of this is actually like how long it's been vulnerable. Because um, usually this stuff pops up pretty quick. Um, and usually somebody discovers it, especially in the Web3 space where there's so much money involved. Like you expose a secret key to actually allow money transfer. And man, that gets like, uh, that gets exploited the second that it pops up, right? Like it, 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 it happens so quickly um, because there is money involved. Uh, and maybe that's why I I don't know, but uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see how it's how long it's actually existed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Sometimes these things last for a long time, and it just somebody happens to stumble upon it. Um, and I don't know. It's just like, man, if your whole thing is to protect users from fear uh, harassment, like you gotta get privacy right. Okay, you gotta get privacy right. So. Um, what I mean, it's funny though, because like you say you've seen this recently, and it does make sense now. Because like I didn't think about it, but yeah, with GraphQL specifically, because I remember, um, <laughs> yeah, some instances where I'd seen apps where GraphQL, like we have seen apps where GraphQL just the authorization it, almost like it was, um, well, it tends to be pretty custom per per application, and it doesn't doesn't seem like with authorization um, in GraphQL, I've seen a lot of like standardization amongst how it's done. So it does make sense that there will be flaws there. Also, REST APIs are notorious for having those kinds of flaws as well. I wonder though if some if it isn't also you know how some some of these. Um, some of these frameworks that have come out have made things so convenient to a fault where you're able to return like basically, uh, yeah, a user object and all of the attributes, uh, whether it's through, you know, associations or it's all in that one table or, or model, um, basically serializing all those attributes that, is, uh, that are associated with that user object and then just sending it back and allowing the mm -hmm. front end to parse out the elements it wants. And so yeah. part of me could see them just being like implementing that way and then not maybe if there's like a obscure part of the documentation or no part of the documentation, but a more likely an obscure part of the documentation that says, here's how you, I don't know, deny list or allow list, you know, certain attributes that wasn't probably implemented. Yeah, yeah that's probably convenient. I, 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 well, and that thing. was it because like rails and, and django right like they they kind of have that built into them now right like to to suppress some of that as it's sending back and forth um but you know the second that we overlay that with you know uh graphql middleware right that's actually exposing that data making it easy to interact with it it's very easy to to see where again that security hole lines up right where you can be like, oh, well, I've got the protections in place, but it's only when I'm using the Rails endpoints and interacting with the model there, as opposed to 
the GraphQL middleware, which is you know an easy way for me to expose a GraphQL endpoint, also accessing the same models and the same you know the same data underneath the hood, and then you turn on like the introspection query, and you can you can go in and look at the user model, and it's just modeling out whatever's in the code itself, and it, it'll tell you that it's available, right? And th that's the the shocking thing is you'll see that you know as it steps through you know you'll see it in the introspection as well as like in the data itself that's being returned. Yeah, and there's um, a lot of new uh, like JavaScript and other language uh, web frameworks that came out too that make things their whole thing is to make things as quick and easy as possible to get going, which makes sense. But like they lack some level of. I don't know. Anytime you abstract away a lot of things, you end up with not a lot of control, right? Easeability, but not a lot of control, um, and certainly not awareness on how the underpinning things work. So there, that, and as we've said and shown and demonstrated a million times, these frameworks don't seem to learn from each other. Like anytime mm -hmm. I see a, a dev build a framework and it even implements even like half of the things that we've learned that you need to implement in a framework. I'm like, that's pretty good because most <laughs> people are just like, you know what? Nobody else has done this right. I got it. Let me do this. Yeah. Also, I'll do no prior research on what went wrong from a security perspective. So yep. then we're left with that. And by the way, tomorrow well, you got to support it because your engineers adopted yeah. it. So cool. What is it that we said about rolling our own crypto, right? Like, or, you know, Years ago, uh, you know, uh, that first project that we were on where we found that crypto library they were passing around, that the key really was just the date oh, and yeah. hour. Yeah, it was amazing, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, that's the crypto. Or how about the Rot13 one? That was my favorite crypto I've ever seen in my life. That was awesome. That was, uh, was that Filio? David Filio who found that I one? I think so. Or was that someone yeah. else? I don't know if we've told on the podcast. I know we've talked about it in the course, but on the, I'll just mention it again for those who've never heard the story. Seth and I were working at Fishnet and one of our uh, friends slash consultants um, threw a question out to folks. It was like, you know, the last, the last three characters in this, because uh, basically you go to this URL and it's got this at the end of the parameters got like uh, the value in the parameters got like this random, seemingly random value except for the three it's like period and then three characters that obviously never change so you can guess that there's some file extension there and so uh when you rotate it three 13 places in the alphabet rot 13 the oldest like oldest dumbest cipher ever right uh it uh was pdf so now we're like oh this is a pdf file names <laughs> and it's got like yeah. sensitive content out the yin yang right and then uh so then yeah we just someone wrote like a little JavaScript rot 13 thing and generated all the file names and just downloaded them, you know, downloaded files without necessary access that should have been required. And mm -hmm. anyways, really funny story. Cause you just, it's wild when you see stuff like that in real life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like what Troy's putting in here. Like when you see this in real life, when you see it in an assessment or in a code review, right? Like it's, it's like, wow, how did this ever like make it through? Um, and then I, you know, you, you also have to take a step back, right? Like, cause you know, there's people that are actually building the software and give them a little bit of, you know, at least like grace that there was other things like with Corey, right? Like there was other things going on when they built it and they may not have been aware that it was being exposed or it was intended to be an internal API where you need to retrieve that data back and forth, right? Like, and it just got exposed because of a mistake or, you know, miscommunication, whatever it is, right? Like, we don't know what actually went on. So pointing fingers and being super, like, judgmental about it is not helpful to the situation. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that's what I've learned, at least, like, dealing with developers over time is, like, no one is intending to do any of this, right? Um, it's usually... No, it, yeah, it, I mean, it's always a mistake. It's always some sort of miscommunication. It's always business pressure. Like there's other factors that lead into why these exploits exist. And it's usually not um, not a knock on the developer's experience or the developer's you know, know-how. Um, it's usually just like a lack of awareness when it comes down to it. You know? Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. But it's all, you know, they're, they're pretty fun stories when you, you know, 
you think about rot 13 you think about the use like like yeah i mean base 64 is always fun too because that's always been used as base base 64 encryption right like you know for years and years i you know we'd hear that um but nowadays right like it's almost second nature when I see like EY at the beginning of a string, you're like, Oh, that's a jot, right? Like mm-hmm. it is right. Like, cause you know, that's the, um, the curly or a JWT. Yeah. JWT. It's a JSON web token, right? Yes. Whatever. Whatever right. Like, uh, yeah. You know, what was funny too, in his article was he talked about, cause it was like the same scenario that we, we, both ran into uh before where he said because i've had that conversation oh my god it was the worst was when i was oh god when i was working uh for the pentagon and contract like basically doing uh appsec assessments for um all the little i say little all the companies that have contracts that build websites for the different branches that are connected to the pentagon basically if you put a website online at the pentagon it needs to on that infrastructure in any way it's got to go through uh, an assessment uh, which is a whole other story, set of stories for a different time. But one of the, one of the ones I would come across, because this is this is pretty early days of uh, using an intercepting proxy. So Troy had mentioned that, you know, he told some developers like that he could do the same kind of thing that he's talking about in the article with Fiddler. And um, they were like, well, don't worry about it. Okay, none of our users use Fiddler. And I remember having <laughs> the same exact conversation with these folks. Who would you? I was that? like, because it was so early days of AppSec for one. And you know, two proxies were pretty new, but three, and this is the not nicest one to say, but it is the reality. So you can take it for what it's worth. These are companies trying to undercut and, and outbid every other company. Do you think they're hiring the best developers in the world? I'm sorry if I offend anybody with this, but the answer is usually not. No, not. They're not. So Unfortunately, there were a lot of those uncomfortable conversations where I sat in a room. I'm like, but you understand what we're saying, though, right? Do you you really understand what I'm saying? Listen, take the proxy out of it. Go into your your browser. Go into developer tools. We're going to do this together. You know, it just it was so, so tough. I mean, thankfully, like I don't. Yeah, I mean, that those those days have been long behind me. But that's still, I'm sure, the case for a lot of people out there dealing with conversations like that. That's a tough one. So. If you're dealing yeah. with conversations like that, there is help. You can come to absoluteappsec.com and visit your friends that you can. Yeah. Join our Slack channel. We will commiserate. Our Slack channel. <laughs> we can help you feel better about your problems. Yes. You're we, not alone. We, you are not alone. Don't we suffer are in all silence. together. Yes. <laughs> but it is tough, man. It is tough to have those conversations with folks who are just like, just mm-hmm. completely, I mean, because, you know, especially when you're talking to basically people that have the equivalent experience of a junior developer, you know, they're still struggling with some of the the fundamentals of programming and making things work. And there's not a sudden, you know, non-trivial challenge to, to run something at scale, meet all the requirements yep. and all that stuff. Um, and then, then you throw in the security person who's like, yeah, I can do this. And they're, they've never heard of these techniques. They've never heard of these vulnerabilities. They have no idea what a proxy is, you know. I kind of get it, but at the same time, it was always like, oh, this is just the worst. Um, But, uh, you know, it's good. Maybe good at like explaining issues to people. So, yeah. Yeah. It is. Well, and that that was it, right? Like, initially, when we were at Fishnet, most of like the first like quarter of our security training was not actually like security related. It was like, this is the basics of HTTP and how the web browser communicates with the server itself. Because there were so many questions and so many developers that we ran into that did not realize this, like what the connection was that you could actually intercept it. You could actually like see the communication as it went back and forth. It was a lot of like web 101, right? Like how does the web actually operate? Um, those those early days of teaching like application security 101, that's what we did. Like I had modules on that that we would have to review on, you know, look at what you can actually see. This is what a proxy is. Um, this is a plain text protocol. There's no secrets involved here. And if you're, if you're not using encrypted communications, anyone sitting on the network can see that as well, right? Like it was... And it was a revelation to a lot of those developers back then because they'd just never heard it before. It was a, it was a lack of training and a lack of awareness um, yeah, in learning those basics, right? So if you are struggling with it, 
you want to teach your developers, let me know, right? Like Redpoint does offer training at that level, but you know. Here we go. There's <laughs> your pitch, right? Here, yeah. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Sales, no, yeah. Um, no, but yeah, like it, it is a, it is a, that's one of the, it's, it's a, how it's one of those things where, yes, it's tough, but it is, I, it is kind of like a formative shaping of your, uh, some soft skills that does help with, it did help with soft skills. I'll say that to have these conversations. Yeah. It's not like these people are just, I, I'm not trying to give the impression that oh, they're idiots or anything. It's just that like, you know, you get what you get sometimes. And that was one of those situations. And, but again, even if they, even if these were really experienced developers, a lot of the stuff they were talking about just was so new back then. I mean, I remember having conversations where they're like, yeah, but how would someone know how to format that soap request? And I'm like, you know, you put a wisdom online. They're like, wisdom, explain more. Like, yeah. you're the one that implemented soap. What are you talking? You know, well, is that just, that's not available to everybody. It absolutely is available to everybody. Well, how'd you find it? I just guessed. <laughs> like, I put a question. Yeah, you're special. WSDL like, no, I'm end. not. Exactly. No. no. <laughs> no. There's a whole, ones. yeah. There's a whole RFC on how that's supposed to operate it. I went and read the doc and it told me, like this is what I'm supposed to. I think the amount of vulnerabilities that I found reading the docs has been reading amazing, the docs. right? Like reading the docs, right? Like going through and reading the framework documentation for Rails, right? Oh, like how do endpoints actually work? Oh, look, right? Like oh, it mapped all this out for me. Look, I can just do this, and yeah, um, yep. it, yeah. It's constantly surprising what you know how much people will just jump into things without having the background that they. They probably should in order to do it. Yeah, anyway. pretty sure. Anyway, well, at the uh, same time, sometimes you just got to make stuff work. You got to ask to build stuff, mm -hmm. and you just figure it out, just like hackers do when we're presented a new target. So, yep, we're all just figuring stuff out, I guess, together. Yep, yep, yep. Sweet. Well, cool. We've been going for an over an hour today. Um, yeah. Like Ken said, though, if you have questions, if you want to join the conversation, jump into Slack. There's been quite a bit of activity the last couple of weeks. A lot of good articles being posted. A lot of things that we talked about today actually popped up in the in Slack over the last week. Um, but don't forget about the happy hour RSVP if you're going to be at CactusCon and come see us. And yeah, I think that's everything for today, Ken, unless you got something else you want to bring up. <laughs> no, no, no. Sweet. All right. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you all online.